0: today this is barry fitzgerald garen Perro, columnist for stockhead welcome to another edition of the explorers podcast you now i feel a bit silly calling it an explorer's podcast because it really is a lithium and boron development story fast emerging in the us in nevada sunny nevada i'm talking about iron the asx code is inr trading at around 30 cents for a market cap of 630 million dollars. Now, Ear already has under its belt one of the biggest lithium carbonate equivalent resources you'll find on the ASX or anywhere for that matter, along with the uh, bor- boric acid um, equivalent as well. So lots to talk about here because uh, Ionair picked this project up in 2016, uh, but we're getting to the pointy end of the, uh, of the plan to become um, a a significant producer of lithium and boric acid in the US. So with that, I'll introduce Bernard Rowe, the MD. G'day, Bernard. How's it going? Yeah, very good, Barry. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. Now, I mentioned uh, the big resource. There was a uh, an increase recently, substantially increased to 3.4 million tonnes of lithium carbonate. And uh, just explain to listeners that that's in your, what is it, the Southern lease? And, but there's also a northern lease that uh, has yet to be worked up to the MRE stage, is that right? Yeah, that's
1: correct. So, yes, two, two, two areas, we call them basins. So there's a south basin and a north basin. To date, we've only done drilling to give us a resource on the south basin, and, in fact, we haven't even yet finished drilling the south basin, so the, the resource estimate is based on exclusively on the South Basin, but important or significantly only one part of the South Basin, you know, roughly representing about a third of the overall basin. And, you know, because it is a basin, these are sedimentary rocks, they're quite predictable, you know, where you expect to find them as you drill. And, you know, the edges of the basin are very obvious because you've got volcanic rocks, so you've got sedimentary rocks uh, where the where the mineralization is, and they they eventually bud into the edge of the basin where there's volcanic rocks, and so we know exactly where those positions are. The north basin is about five kilometres to the north. It's all part of the same contiguous landholding, but it's geologically separate. And we drilled two holes into there. Oh my gosh, way back in I think it was late '16, just to confirm some results that we had from drilling that was done by Rio Tinto many decades earlier. So we know what's there in the north. We just haven't yet upgraded it to a resource estimate, but that's on the, you know, the future plan.
0: For sure. Okay. So MRE is uh, 3.4 million tonnes LCE equivalent. Um, obviously the project is not resource constrained. And as I mentioned, it's as big as anything you'll find on the ASX or anywhere else for that matter. The so where are we at in terms of permitting for the project?
1: So there are, there are three key permits that you require or we require in order to commence construction. We have two out of those three already granted. So the two that we have uh, relate to water and air, uh, and, so the, and they are granted by the state of Nevada. So we have those. The third permit that we is, are still waiting on but is rapidly approaching, is uh, a federal permit issued by the US Department of Interior. And the government agency under the Department of Interior is called the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM. So you'll hear us talking a lot about BLM. So that's the permit that we're waiting on. Now, it's in a process called NEPA, which relates to the Environmental Protection uh, Agency. and that is progressing at the moment. The process started early this year or very late last year, and we estimate and the government have given guidance that the process, this NEPA process, will, will wrap up early next year, and and that's when you get a record of decision on, on your, our final permit. So we're expecting to be fully permitted in the first quarter of 2024.
0: Right, and that would presumably lead to you a quick start of uh, construction in the first half of twenty four. Yes, that's correct. Um, you know, we've still got a bit
1: of work to do. There's no, no question there. You know, we we've been doing some drilling to the southern on around the southern end of the deposit, and uh, some more geotechnical work as well, mainly down again to the southern part of the deposit because we hadn't completed our work there. Because I, I mentioned the deposits open, so you know we want to know where the Uh, the all body ends down to the south so i've been doing that work but but importantly you know we've done all the engineering work the detailed sort of engineering design is at a level that we could easily go and start construction tomorrow Uh, now we can't start tomorrow unfortunately but we will definitely be ready to go as soon as we get that final record of decision Uh, the other thing then though that that we would have to do is make a final investment decision. And for IronEar to make a final investment decision, we need two of our partners to do the same. Subbanye, Stillwater, our our sort of uh, equity partner that will become our joint venture partner. And the other partner is the actual US government because uh, they are providing or will be providing the debt to finance this project. So obviously we need a final sign off from them as well. But um, we're we're doing everything we can to make sure that as soon as we get that record of uh, the um, record of decision, the final permit, that we can move into construction as quickly as possible. And we've done a lot of work over the last couple of years to be ready for that.
0: Mm. Now, you've touched on... Uh, one of the unique things about this project is that in, in terms of financing, is uh, the big blocks are there. You've got the Sabania 50% JV for US contribution 490 mil and Department of Energy uh, conditional uh, loan up to US 700 million. Does this mean there will be, a, will there still be a need for an equity component at some stage?
1: We won't really know the exact answer to that until we've finished updating all the cost estimates which we are doing right now because again you need to do this uh, our feasibility study was 2020 and so obviously it's important that we have accurate cost estimate information immediately prior to going to our partners and our own board to ask for a final investment decision so we're, we're doing all of that updating and you know we haven't finished that yet so once we get all that information, then, of course, we will um, review it and look at, is you know, is there a gap or not? You know, we're, we're not expecting there to be any significant gap. And, you know, we're in a position uh, that if, if, if there happens to be, then, you know, we can deal with that. And we can deal with it in a number of ways. And uh, and any if there is any gap, then that gap would be a gap for the joint venture. Uh, assuming the joint venture is then executed, um, and we're moving ahead, then the, any any gap in funding would be actually a joint venture gap, not mm-hmm. not a gap. I.e., the the 490 that you mentioned from Sabanye that's what triggers, or that's what they, um, I guess, put up uh, when the joint venture is formally triggered. And of course, those agreements have in there what happens if there is an additional. Capital required, and you know it's shared fifty-fifty. Right. Okay. So you know I'm I'm sort of dancing around the, the question a little bit deliberately because I just don't have that information today. Um, you know m- maybe it's it's I mean we have effectively we have 1.2 billion in place mm. uh, with those two approximately uh, with those two uh, equity and debt partners, and that puts us in an excellent position. And maybe we don't need anything else at all. Maybe we need a little bit extra, and if that's the case, then we're in a great position to deal with that.
0: Yep, and obviously um, in comparison with other lithium uh, players out there um, who aren't fully funded or aren't funded at all, um, is a point of difference worth mentioning. Now, the other obvious point of difference with uh, Rylite Ridge is the um, the twin products, uh, lithium and uh, boron. Yes, And that 20, you refer to that 2020 bankable feasibility study, which came out with a, uh, a very low all in sustaining cash costs because of after boron credits. Boron yes. Credits, I think it was around two 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 and a half US thousand dollars a tonne. Yes. And then you plugged in uh, price assumptions that uh, delivered a uh, after tax internal rate of return of more than 20%. That was based on lithium carbonate of uh, US $11,700 a tonne. And here we are at four times that level at the moment. So yes, that's, I assume, why you're updating <laughs> those figures. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, th- that's exactly right. And when we update all figures, and, you know, I often get asked, you know, why haven't we updated our our financials for those higher commodity prices? And, you know, my answer is, well, you know, you can't cherry pick when, when we update the the financial model, we'll be updating for everything. So we will be mm-hmm. updating for the, the capital costs, the operating costs, the, you know, the consumables that we use as part of those operating costs. And of course, we will be updating both lithium carbonate and boric acid pricing. And, you know, a, another thing I, I like to sort of mention to people when they ask me those questions is that. none of the other things have gone up as much as lithium has gone up Mm -hmm. so that's always a good place to be you know yes the price of sulfur is higher and yes the price of lime is higher and you know the price of many things is higher now there's not too many things that have gone down in the last four years uh, but none of them have gone up anywhere near like the the quadrupling that you've just mentioned um of lithium so that that you know that puts us in an excellent position as well, obviously, knowing yeah. that that's the case. Um, and, you know, boric acid has risen as well. Not, not uh, It certainly hasn't You know, tripled or quadrupled like lithium has, but it's also a healthy uh, amount above the 710 average price that we used in the feasibility study.
0: Mm. Yeah, that would uh, be a good point, I think, to just make the... Um I think stockhead listeners are well across the lithium and lithium markets, uh, but uh, not necessarily the borates market. Just explain a little bit about the borates market for them. Yeah, no, it, it is. Um, I'm
1: glad you asked me that, Barry, because you know it, it is something that most people know very little about, and you, and you don't see a lot written about it either. Now, there's reasons for that, and that it, and the main one is that it's a duopoly. So there really are only two large producers in the world. One of them is Rio Tinto from, a, from one mine in California in the Mojave Desert, uh, not far from Los Angeles, uh, and that's a very old mine that's sort of in the final uh, chapter, at least, of its life. When, when, I'm not saying I don't, I don't know when it will close, but it's been in operation for you know, more than 100 years. Mm. Um, so it's a very mature and deepening uh, mine, open-pit mine out in the desert in in California. The other uh, producer, supplier, is the Turkish government, okay? And, in fact, 70, I think it is 73% of the world's reserves are in Turkey. So, really, the world is very much, as you look forward, you know, for the next, you know, say, pick a number, but let's say 50 to 100 years, then, as it currently stands, the world is very reliant on Turkey for its boron supplies, and of course, no matter, no matter which country it is in the world, that's not a good situation to have such a concentration from one country. Uh, and and logistically, it's also very difficult, um, you know, given that the consumption around the world is spread all around the world, particularly in the Pacific, with um, Asia and America as the big uh, consumers. Now uh, the boron market itself, or what's it used for? It's used in borosilicate glass, so that's the by far the largest user. But it's one of these very unusual um, elements that's used, or products that's used for a whole heap of different um, uses, and they're really very extremely varied to the point that you think, how in the world can you use, how can you use boron to make, you know, very high tech, high temperature glass? It's very strong That it, that is actually the glass that's used on your on your um, telephones, your mobile phones and the screens and things like that, that really thin but very strong glass. That's borosilicate glass. It's also used in the glass that goes into microwave cookware and glass cooktops because it can handle very high heat and, and then also very uh, varying temperatures, so hot and cold, and it's very, very strong. Whilst still being very thin, now in addition though to yeah, how how can a product like that then get used for a micronutrient for growing plants and Mm. and enhancing crop yields? But it is, um, you know, it's also used for in fiberglass insulation in houses for you know thermal efficiency. Um, It's used uh, as a fire retardant. It's used as a uh in permanent magnets in electric motors um you know you would have heard of uh, these neodymium um, rare earth neodymium um, permanent magnets well they're actually made out of neodymium iron and boron Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know it's used as shielding on rockets and armor plating and it's also used as a pesticide to stop termites and white ants eating timber Mm -hmm. so you know I don't think there is another product that has such a wide and diverse range of uses as as Boron. So you've got a very large and broad usage. So that's obviously good for the market. It doesn't matter if uh, if something gets uh, superseded or replaced Mm -hmm. or no longer used because uh, there are other uses that will take up that surplus. Uh, It's used all around the world, um, not surprisingly. You know, China, the United States, Japan, Korea are all very large consumers, and there's this there's this uh, strategic, if you like, um, factor at play that you've got such a concentration of this material sitting in Turkey, and hence, hence all the users, and and, you know, I would also think um, many governments uh, see it as a strategic material as well. Uh, and and there's a sort of strong incentive to diversify supply and bring new supply online. So I think it's something that makes Rio Ridge really quite special. The fact that that's there, it's not just the economic contribution; it's the it's the por- important role it will play in the global supply of boron for many decades to come.
0: That's clearly why uh, Rio Tinto uh, loved boron. Um, you mentioned the. The, the boron project they have in California, but they also have a, a lithium boron project in uh, Serbia, which unfortunately for them, the governor said you can't develop. So, yes, uh, one thing Rhea, I know Rio likes about it is stability in uh, the st- stability it provides them yes. against their iron, you know, fluctuating iron ore and copper prices, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, so,
1: yes, yeah, yeah, and that, that's true. And if and you know, you, you just need to look at historical pricing information and see that it's actually got one of the lowest volatile, pricing volatilities of any commodity in the world. Mm. So, um, yes, it's a great second bow to have when you are producing any commodity, um, and including lithium, given it's also you know quite volatile with its pricing. Um, and
0: and it has uh, been the last uh, six months or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and look,
1: that's not unexpected because... You know there are. It's a small. The, the lithium market is still a fairly small market uh, globally, and so it doesn't take a lot to sort of you know overshoot or undershoot um, what's required, what the demand. And so when that happens, prices fluctuate a lot, and we've seen, you know, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, four times, five times. I mean, really, when I started on this project back in 2016, we were using four thousand dollars a ton. <laughs> Uh, for lithium pricing, okay. So yeah. that's that's actually ten times up on that yeah. now. Is and and it went above that as well, obviously for a short time. So really is has been very volatile, and it, I'm sure it will continue to be like that for a while to come.
0: Yeah. Now another point of difference, a major point of difference was uh, President Biden Biden signing in the Inflation Reduction Act into law last year, mm-hmm. which. Uh, Gives preferential uh, treatment for sources of U.S. domestic uh, lithium supply and other strategic metals, other mm-hmm. critical metals. The just explain to investors what it could mean for a project like Rhylite
1: Ridge. So there's there's many parts to the Inflation Reduction Act, and I'll, I'll just mention, and I'll come back to it, the the, the debt that we have. Uh, conditional debt from the government does not relate to the Inflation Reduction Act. So okay. the, the Inflation Reduction Act is not the only thing that the US government is doing in this area. So I'll come back to the debt. But the Inflation Reduction Act, in, in you know fairly simple terms, uh, it's going to give incentive pricing and tax reductions uh, for cars that have dominantly... Their components produced dominantly within the United States, and using dominantly materials that are sourced in the United States. So, in other words, if you're a car maker and you are sourcing the the uh, required amount of the material, it's not one hundred percent, but if you're re- sourcing the required amount of those raw materials, and those raw materials are being uh, used in the production of, you know, cathodes, and then into a battery cell, and then into an electric car, along with other components as well in the car. Then, if you meet those criteria, then your car is going to be cheaper than it would have otherwise been. Mm. So, there's going to be a pricing incentive to cars uh, that that use the minimum required percentages of these um, locally. Produced, refined, and then um, manufactured materials are going into the car. So yeah, there, there's going to be a cost advantage for those cars. And so if you if you've got two car companies making a very similar car and one's qualifying and the other's not under the Inflation Reduction Act, then their cars are going to be cheaper. Yeah, and exactly. uh, which ones sell? Yeah, exactly. So what you've seen is, um, you know, and we've seen this as as you know, we've already. A, we already have all of our lithium under offtake, um, but we, we we're being approached with some degree of regularity, asking you know if we've got any more material that we can supply, and it and the what people are looking for is what they refer to as IRA compliant lithium. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So th- th- there's a market emerging for this material from the car manufacturers that have. Have or plan to have manufacturing operations in the United States, because if they don't, then their cars will be less competitive against those that are that are accessing IRA-compliant materials. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's a fun, it's a it's a, an incredible um, incentive incentivizing or incentive package uh, that has been. a made available by the U.S. government for U.S. manufactured cars and, um, you know, it it has had major major ramifications and implications.
0: Mm. Now, Bernard, I'm sure some of the points we've been talking about has been drawn into some price target setting by some of the brokers out there. Do you have a feel for what, say, the average price target the brokers that follow the stock might have? Uh, well, I certainly know
1: it's all of them are above thirty cents. So um, <laughs> I think uh, we're we're sort of generally sitting in the fifty to sixty cent range. I think with most of them at the moment, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think with Iron Ear, um, you know, considering how advanced this project is, and considering the financing that we've got in place and the offtake partners that we've got in place, and you know, I you know, and I think you alluded to this, you know, it is really is a standout story, Um, but we're not permitted yet and it takes takes time, longer, certainly longer time to permit a a mining operation in the United States than it does in Australia. And, you know, we've seen, if you look around the world where most of the new lithium production has come from in the last five or six years, most of it, not all of it, but most of it has come from producing spodumene in Australia. And uh, Australia is very good at um, you know, developing mines. And met many of the deposits, to be fair, many of the deposits in Western Australia were, were already on areas that had been mined in the past or the, where there had been mining leases. So that, that sort of sped things up. Um, but anyway, I think in, in terms of pioneer and the valuation, I think you know where, where we see uh, discounting, from the brokers in our value in uh, in our valuations, is certainly primarily around okay. di- permitting discounts. Yeah, so which is understandable. And as we I think move closer, and we're edging closer day by day to that point, we will see a significant re-rate when that happens, and it's yeah.
0: it's coming okay. soon. So just to finish off, I'll quote something from the Department of Energy loan. Programs Office hmm. um, earlier this year, I think it was, said that that loan, the uh, up to seven hundred million US, uh, is intended to provide assurances to equity investors that the administration believes the project has a pathway forward to obtaining the permit. So there we go. Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah that was a very, very powerful statement. I must admit, uh, and and welcome from from us, of course. Um, because uh, you know, it's, it's I think it's very very accurate that the the background to it is that the Department of Energy did several years of due diligence uh, on Ironear and this project, including the environmental and the permitting aspects, but across all aspects of the project. And so you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, an overnight decision that they should give us a conditional loan. And and I would actually point out that I. I believe we are still the only mining operation where you've got mineral processing and mining, okay, so it's an integrated facility Mm -hmm. because that's important because the DOE loan program doesn't, it relates more to the processing than the actual Mm -hmm. sort of hole-in-the-ground mining. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I believe we are still the only company that's been uh, granted one of those conditional loans. Uh, there's but there's been grants to other companies, et cetera, but I'm talking about uh, a conditional loan from the Loan Programs Office. I think we are still the only one um, that had been successful there. And so that took a long time and a lot of due diligence. And that's why that statement is so meaningful. Um, you know, if I look at it, the government didn't have to come out and say that. Uh, in fact, they could have not even granted us the conditional loan. They could have said, no, you wait until we have permitting. But they didn't. They went ahead and did this to show that they have confidence in the process. And, you know, I, I think the, the, um, it, it, it says a lot about this project and all the work that's been done. And it's not just the work that was done by the Department of Energy it was the work that we did in conjunction with the BLM and the US Fish and Wildlife to address any concerns that they had, um, modify plans where needed so that mm-hmm. this could move ahead. And that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are today.
0: Unfortunately, Bernard, we've uh, run out of time, but thanks again for uh, bringing us up to speed on Railroad Ridge, um, which is on a track to receive its permit before long uh, that's the assumption that we're operating on and then it will be uh, into construction and uh, production to follow so thanks for your time today fascinating story we will be watching with interest
1: thanks barry great catching up thank you